Excellent. Well, yeah, it's um, my joy to share with you this morning. And I, I wanted to start um, just with a story that happened um, to me a few weeks ago, um, just to kind of illustrate um, a little bit of where we're heading with this psalm that Richard's just uh, read to us. And um, I had the yeah, real privilege of being asked to, to do a workshop at the um, Baptist State Youth Camp. Uh, there's 30 plus churches there and almost 400 youth and leaders um, it was held at the Scout um, Cataract Camp site um, there near Appen. And it was, yeah, after term three and on a Saturday, I um, drove down there and, and I got um, I was asked to do a workshop on hearing God's voice. Um, I couldn't um, resist saying yes, my favourite topic, um, and got to um, be in the prayer tent. And it was awesome to see a hungry bunch of youth. The tent was filled and overflowing. They'd come to this topic. They didn't know who I was, but they came because they wanted to hear um, how on earth do you hear God today? And so, um, yeah, the, the workshop went really well. We got really practical, and um, it was great just to see um, people, youth of all ages, kind of praying and, and practicing how to listen to God, how to encourage one another. Um, and it was, yeah, really great, great, great time there. Um, and then afterwards, you often have a few kids that kind of want prayer from the leaders, or they've got some questions. And there was this young girl. Um, kind of floating around, and I went up to her and introduced myself, and um, she said hi, and I, I asked if she had any questions or wanted um, to talk about anything, and, and she said no. I was like, great, well, have a great great day. And then like five minutes later, she was still hovering around, and I heard her tell another leader that she was waiting to talk to me, um, and so I was a little bit confused, um, but I, um, I then um, a little bit later casually went up and said, oh, hey, um, did you have any questions or were you wanting to get some prayer? And she said, yes, I wanted to talk to you. Um, and she'd been waiting there and she said to me that um, she, she wanted prayer for healing. And I thought, wow, okay. Um, that wasn't the workshop, but hey, God, God's always doing a whole range of things. And she said, um, I'm, I've been in real agony this weekend at the camp um, and I um, have this back pain. And so I, I grabbed uh, another youth leader. Um, she was a youth pastor um, so there was two of us leaders with this, um, I think she was 13 or 14. And um, as we talked to her and, and chatted with her, she um, was born um, with, with, with a sort of back pain. Um, I think it was scoliosis. Um, and it's been with her her whole life. Um, so it had been particularly bad this weekend. And so I was like, wow, this is, this is huge. But, you know, praise God for this young girl's faith. We know that, that God is good and, and loving. And, and, and who knows what he wants to do today. Um, and, and my heart jumped because it was, it was off topic from the workshop to a degree, but I, I felt like there, there could be something on this in this moment. Um, and I never want to guess or a second guess or doubt. Um, and so me and this lady, um, we, we prayed for her. And as we um, both put her, asked if we could put our hands on her shoulder, we started praying. And um, it doesn't always happen um, every time I ever pray for anyone, but I really sensed God's presence, particularly just resting on her. Um, and I was really encouraged by the faith of the lady praying um, with me. Um, she, she immediately, just in Jesus' name, spoke to the pain and, and asked it to decrease. Um, and I was going, wow, okay, she's full of faith. My faith was increasing. Um, and then I too, just in the name of Jesus, I, um, different people have, have kind of trained and equipped me in this area. Um, so I was just confident enough to speak to the pain and command it to leave. I spoke to the lifelong condition. And in the name of Jesus, asked that to leave. And as we were praying for this girl, tears streamed down her face. And I really sensed that there was something more just going on here. 
Um, and after we finished, we spoke to her, and actually during the prayer, um, her posture had been slightly curved, and you could see the pain, and she literally was standing taller by the end of it, tears on her face. She's like, the pain is gone. And, and we're just standing there going, wow, this is, this is amazing. But then I had this thought, and it was like God was saying, I'm, I'm not finished here. And I, I, I kind of received this thought, which was a word of knowledge from, from God, and um, I asked this girl, um, have there been some thoughts and some, some things in your head that have been particularly made this journey even harder? I said, did the doctor tell you you'd have this for life? And that's created a lot of fear. She started crying further and she said, yes, every doctor I've ever seen has, has spoken that to me. And, you know, that, that's fair enough. It often is a, a lifelong condition. That's the doctor's job. Um, but that, that had created a whole bunch of fear in her. And then um, the other question I had for her was, is there something that your family have said to you that, that's really been hurting you? And she again, she, her tears increased. And, and she shared with us that um, her parents had told her um, that, that God cannot heal today and that she needs to just live with it. And so she'd been carrying that um, as a part of a youth group. Uh, she's from a more rural country um, youth group. And amazingly enough, we were able to then pray over those thoughts. And um, it was amazing to see God revealing his heart for her through us. And as she encountered this moment with God, um, we were then able to pray, I guess, over who God is and how much he loves her and what he is capable of. And in the mystery of suffering and pain and sickness and darkness, that right there and then, in this moment for her story, she, she was set free from it. Um, and so I, I contacted the camp director a couple of weeks later, and she said it was, she was incredible. Um, I ended up sharing the story with the whole camp. By the end of the camp, she was still, um, her, her whole body pain had all gone. Uh, and then now three weeks later, um, we touched base, and she's still pain-free, and that condition seems to have gone. Um, so I had the joy of sharing that just story and testimony with, with the youth group on Friday night. And I've been thinking about this moment for um, the last few weeks. And when we were in between series and I got to preach, um, I felt like God was speaking through just this one story. Because, I mean, my personal journey has been, I've been on this pursuit of, of wanting to not let my experience define how I follow God. I've wanted Jesus to be how I follow God. I've wanted to live like him and I wanted to follow the New Testament and, and see what God was capable of. Um, and so that, that means that I have prayed for over a hundred youth for the last ten years. And I've seen less than ten experience healing in that moment as I've prayed for healing for them. But I have, I've refused to give up to that um, because I, I still believe in who he is and what, he, what God can do. And, um, and I, I hold the balance of his goodness, his mystery, his power and who he is. Um, in, in all that I am. And, and I can I continue to walk by faith and not always by sight and what I think God might want to or not do. And I addressed this subject this morning with absolute sensitivity, knowing um, that sickness and, and pain and suffering um, is so real for so many of us. But um, this then led me both to this psalm, and I couldn't escape it all week. It was amazing to hear that, that Richard had prepared this psalm to read at the start of the service before he knew this was today's passage. Um, and the, not only this psalm, but there was this, um, this old words of Tozer in one of his great um, writings, um, The Knowledge of the Holy. Um, Tozer, he states that what comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. He says, he goes on to say, always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God. 
just as her most significant message is what she says about him or her, uh, sorry, about him, or leaves unsaid, for her silence is often more eloquent than her speech. Were we able to extract from any man a complete answer to the question, what comes into your mind when you think about God, we might predict with certainty about the spiritual future of that man. And um, I've, I've never forgotten, I, I don't often retain quotes from, from books, but that first line I, I, I've never forgotten, and it's always helped me rem- constantly remind myself that how I view God will define often my day, my weeks, my months, my years. Um, that, that, that there'll be things in my life that will try to taint my view of who God is. And it's so important that I continue to assess that in my heart and my mind in a constant, constant rhythm. So I love this, this truth that Tozer um, wrote, um, yeah, what, 30, 40, over 40 years ago now. And, and this same truth um, really is at the heart of this psalm from um, the heart of King David as he really just sings and records near the end of his journey of who God is to David. And so the sense I have for us today was both an encouragement and a challenge. And and this psalm that we're going to um, not be able to cover at all, but really zoom into different parts of it today, I really felt like God was encouraging us as a church, um, that we have been a church that has constantly invested into to the, the generations above and below that we stand still today true to that, to the kids and the youth ministry and to all ages. Um, and what I love in the heart of this psalm is that from one generation to another, we continue to share who God is, what he has done, what he can do, and that that is at the very heart of God and, and what he continues to do through us all. And, yeah, I really felt this week to encourage you all because your money, your time, your faith, your belief, is the reason all of us stand here today. Um, and it's really in the heart of this church. And I guess then the challenge is, what does that look for as we go ahead? What does it look like? Who is the God that we are revealing to one another each Sunday and throughout the weeks? Who is the God we're revealing to one another, but also to the generations above us and below us? And especially to the young generations that will continue to carry the, the light of Jesus into the world. And that is at the very heart of God. And that will define every one of our faith when we face God one day, when we walk into the glory of heaven. And that will also define the story of Dural in the center as we continue to walk ahead. And that's a responsibility that God has entrusted to us. And I'm so thankful for that. I I walk in an excitement for that. And I love that at first hand, I get to do that um, as the youth pastor here. And it's just been such a joy. And even on Friday night, um, we looked at this psalm with the youth group. And I was amazed to see the culture of them responding to God. And um, we saw 15 to 20 kids come for prayer immediately um, and just hungry to meet with God and, and bring their stresses, their worries, their fears, some of them their sicknesses. Even on Friday night, I was so encouraged. So hopefully you've got Psalm 145 open um, and as, as we look into that um, today. So what is um, what is going on in the, the life of King David at this point when he wrote this psalm? We, we, we don't really specifically know. But I thought it would be helpful just to sort of paint a little picture. And I think actually in a few weeks we're going to be zooming in on the life of David. But just for a minute to remind us 
So I think it's so often with David, we immediately often think of um, this unlikely shepherd who slayed the giant Philistine, Goliath. Um, and then we think of how he was the greatest king ever and he was the man after God's heart. And that's kind of just the David we think of. And, and we're like, wow, he wrote half over half the Psalms, um, incredibly open, honest worshipper. And, and often we forget the details and the challenges and the darkness and the suffering that David went through. And I think David this morning in this psalm is, is a real model for us, for all the situations we all face. There is something so pure about the psalms. Um, the Psalms is, is probably a book of the Bible that I go back to every week. Um, I, I use it to assess my heart, to get honest, to get real before the Lord. And, and I really just want to encourage us that it's simplest today. There's one thing you walk away with. It would be that as you're looking for God in your weeks, flip to any Psalm and I guarantee that there will be something that resonates in those Psalms. I also love to get the youth and my leaders to write their own Psalms. Um, we should all be journaling and, and, and looking at who we are as we face life, but, but really writing psalms is just another form of, of journaling. Just writing, honestly, the, the disappointments, the struggles and the woes of life on a paper or on an app. Um, I found that so helpful. And really at the heart of David, I think the reason that he was so honoured and so revered, such a Christ-like figure known as the greatest king, was, was really his vulnerability, his honesty, his confessions before God, his repentance. Because, I mean, it wasn't all easy for David. From really childhood, we get the impression he was ignored and rejected by his father. Possibly, um, um, yeah, even born um, um, from a, a concubine of, of um, Jesse. Um, but we realise even when um, the prophet Samuel comes to, to choose, David isn't, he doesn't even get a look in. Um, he was mocked by his brothers. So he's grown up as an outsider and a reject in his family. So immediately, as we face rejection, we can we can connect with David. Then he actually proves himself and, and ends up receiving an anointing. But even then, he has to flee from King Saul, who's constantly trying to kill him, to destroy his life. And for years, he's been anointed as the future king of God's people. But it never comes. He has to hide himself in caves. He has to run miles and miles through the desert. He has to thirst um, and starve. And he, he, he shouts and questions God, and we can read those in the Psalms. And then as a king, he's known as the greatest king. He brings unity over um, Israel. He um, destroys um, the enemies of God. But even through that journey of, of triumph and victory, we see the darkness of his soul, the lust of his heart. Um, particularly with um, his adult, uh, adulterous sins with, with Bathsheba. And we see the judgment he faces from God, yet we still see this honest heart. And, and it's David that faces really all realms of life, really similar to, to his descendant one day, the Son of God, Jesus, who's to come. And so as we look at this psalm, it's, it's poetically written and outlines the, the Hebrew alphabet missing one letter. Um, and it, it really, I think, was probably written at the end of David's life as he reflects on who God is. But there's a few verses of this psalm that I guess I wanted to highlight this morning that will really help paint and help refresh us to think through how do we view God today. And as we pass down God to the next generation, as we continue to love for the generations older than us and younger than us, what sort of picture of God do we paint? So the responsibility is really key in verse 4. We read, um, 
And I've got verse 4, I think, to 9 um, up. Yeah. So in verse 4, we see that there's this, this, this command, this mandate that David shares. That is the heart of God's people. And I think Jesus revealed this, taught it to the disciples. And the New Testament church was built on this same principle, that we are to commend the work of God to one another, to tell each other of the mighty acts of God. And I don't think at all that that is, when you look at this psalm, referring to just the old stories of God, the miracles of the Old Testament and the New Testament. I don't think we're meant to just teach um, each other kind of the history of all that God did and all that God did through Jesus, and it kind of ends today. And and I'll reveal that, I think, further in the psalm. Charles Spurgeon, when he talks about this verse, um, I've got a quote that I found really inspiring. Um, Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, He wrote, let us see to it that we praise God before our children and never make them think that his service is an unhappy one and shall declare thy mighty acts. The generations shall hear him unite. Together they shall make up an extraordinary history. Each generation shall contribute its chapter and all the generations together shall compose a volume of matchless character. All glory be unto him who remains the same Lord throughout all generations. I think Spurgeon really captures this beautiful picture that we get to pass on century after century. The same gospel, the good news of Jesus that we've received. We too get to continue to be part of that story and write new chapters. For me, um, yeah, that really propels me into what I do with my life, what I do with my time. For me, it, it's become really like clear walking in youth, youth ministry. But for some of us, it may be a little bit trickier to work out. But for all of us, the same principle applies. That wherever we're working, whichever family we've been placed in, there's this, this, this call and this encouragement from God that every part of your life is portraying your relationship with God to others. Even as you come against opposition, darkness, sickness, if you're able to remain in the joy of the Lord, the joy of walking with God, That is such a story, such a testimony to pass down to your children that will affect your children's children. Someone reminded me the other day that God is a God of of three generations, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, that, that so often we're so caught up in our own life and journey that we forget the decisions I'm making now are going to affect my little one and a half year old Joey that will actually affect her children one day. And that perspective blows our minds. But that is a God of perspective and of heaven and of goodness and of love that he cares about the ongoing generational blessings of people encountering his goodness. So how we walk matters, how we talk about God, how we invite our children and our grandchildren into praying for for job opportunities, into praying for, for times when we're sick, for even praying against the common cold to show that God cares about every detail of our lives. That matters. What I love in verse 13, it says, Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. David prophetically is is writing this out and and singing this to God, but he, he is basically revealing the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven that Jesus taught us. That the kingdom of heaven is still coming to earth and it endures through every generation. So healing and restoring is at the heart of God and it wasn't just for Jesus. The kingdom of God 
His dominion, His rule, His authority, everything Jesus died for, we still have that same authority today. And it's that same view of God's love and authority that we want to keep passing down through the generations. And then this leads to three key parts today that I want to look at. And and that's the mystery of God, the power of God, and the goodness of God. As we turn to the mystery of God, in verse 3, I think um, David highlights this theme. In verse 3 we read, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. I found really important, and often maybe not talked about as much, is the mystery of God. The fact that here that David writes, we can never fathom his greatness. That means that even as, as highly educated Western thinkers, the God that we worship and serve, we will never fully understand. And surrendering and letting go of that concept is one of the, the biggest obstacles for any of us and any human, particularly in the West. When we can let go of knowing and, and thinking that we can make sense of everything that happens on earth, but rather putting our faith in the mystery of God, that is one of the most selfless and courageous acts of the mind and the heart that we can give. And that's putting our faith in the mystery of God. And there's so often times where I look at some of the things that the, the young people are going through, or friends, or marriages, or families, and I go, how is that okay, God? God, where are you in that? And I cannot make sense of it. But the words of David give me hope here. And they say, I cannot fathom the greatness of God. I cannot understand why evil still has such a presence on earth. But I believe it will make sense one day. On this side of eternity or the other. It will make sense one day. But I will put my trust in the mystery of God. And this same truth I believe Jesus placed to the disciples who even at his death, they did not understand what Jesus was doing when he died on the cross. Not until he resurrected, appeared to them, and then poured out his Holy Spirit to give them the confidence to keep walking in the mystery of God and to share the gospel um, to the ends of the world. The disciples carried the mystery, and then the church was built on Paul and Peter. And they too, they taught the mystery of God. We see Paul already wrote to the church of Ephesus, Ephesians, he He talks about the mystery of the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus. It's really good news. But there's still this mystery, this unfathomable part where we cannot ever understand how God can be so good, so loving, and have such a good plan for all that's ahead when we look at our day-to-day world and all that's going on in it. So there's this tension in this psalm, and it's the same tension David carried his whole life. And I believe it's us learning to accept that tension of the the mystery of God. But that balances really well with the power of God. And in verse 5 to 6, David declares, They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. For David, he'd seen firsthand the power of God. He'd experienced it. But he also was a part of a culture of of, of Israel and and God's people where they would recite all that God had done in the past, all that he had done through the generations. The stories that we so often look at in in kids' ministry that we so often forget about ourselves. God's heart and his power that delivered people from the floods through, through Noah's Ark. He delivered the Israelites from slavery 
there um, oppressed by, by the Egyptians. He parted the sea. The walls of Jericho fell as, as Joshua took over the promised land. When Jesus came, his first miracle was turning simply water into wine so that there could just be a celebration and a party. We see Jesus feeding people that were starving by multiplying food. And then we see him resurrecting and bringing people back from the dead. And then himself he conquers death. And those are the stories and the power of God that has not changed. And it's those stories that when I find myself facing a 14-year-old girl in tears, that I hold on to the power of God also the mystery of God where I can't understand why this girl deserves or, or should be walking with this pain. And in that moment, for her story, in a split second, her view of God is transformed. And I believe God's going to use that testimony for her to walk in, in a new, greater view of God. And that that's always at God's heart. It just doesn't always make sense and the timing is always hard to believe. Um, Luke really helpfully looked at belief and faith and we looked at the end of Mark and Jesus' final words in the Gospel of Mark. And I love in verse 17, it says, For those that believe, these signs will accompany you. That if you believe, there will be signs that accompany you. Signs like healing the sick. Signs like casting out demons, destroying the enemy, evil. And that's a promise from Jesus before he resurrected and then ascended. He says to all of us that if you believe, these signs will accompany you. And that's why no matter what I face, I continue to pray and believe in the power of God that he can do what he has always done. And I will believe that those signs will happen. And so I praise God for the times I have seen that. And I believe there's plenty more to come. And I believe there's signs for every one of us, signs that will make people wonder wonders and miracles that will bring people back into the awe of who God is. Healing is just one part of it. The joy of salvation is beautiful. Families being restored, relationships being reconnected, forgiveness, mercy being shown to one another. Those are all signs of the kingdom of heaven touching earth. And so we've got the mystery and the power of God and then there's this other idea that's really blown my mind the last few years and that's the goodness of God. It's so often that we lose sight of how good God is as we face disappointment and struggles. And and David here writes in verse 7 and 9, he writes, They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. Pop the psalm back up. Cheers, Adam. So here in verses 7 and 9, there's this, this promise that the Lord is good to all. I think in the New King James, it says his tender, he has tender mercies for all of his creation. And it's this beautiful promise that, I mean, if we were just to hold on to just that verse 9, no matter what we face, to know that somehow he's still good to us all and his tender mercy will come to us. We might not understand the timing, but it's there. One of the most helpful uh, illustrations I've, I've heard about trying to understand the goodness of God was about um, an Easter egg hunt. And I grew up enjoying an Easter egg hunt um, with family and at different times. We often would be at uh, my grandparents' farm at Easter and we'd hide, hide them all around the farm. 
And I remember it like um, just so vividly, just the joy of searching, the joy of looking for those Easter eggs. Um, it was, it, it was yeah, really such a fun time. And, and I remember even living in England, it was something that my, my cousins in, there did. Um, but um, the illustration I've heard is that, you know, just as parents get, they get the joy of, of hiding Easter eggs, they kind of determine where to put the eggs based off the size and the age of the children. Um, so, you know, you wouldn't have a bunch of five, four, three-year-olds say, we're going to have an Easter egg hunt, and you go and dig a, a three-foot hole and bury all the eggs and just go, have fun, kids, and, and they just spend hours looking, and they basically hate you because they cannot find one bit of chocolate. You know, that, that is not what a good parent does. Um, but, but you also want the game not to go so quick that you just put all the eggs in one spot and they just all go, and the game's over. And so there's this real joy as, as, as parents, and I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I'm not quite there, but close. And um, I, I imagine it's the joy of, of, of having different eggs, and I guess I've, I've done this at youth ministry now that I think about it, um, where you place them in, in, in different varying degrees of difficulty um, for size and age. And there's a real joy in that process. And the illustration I've heard is that just as, as, as parents delight in the curiosity of the children and the discovery of the children on that journey, but perhaps this paints a little bit of a picture of a, a good father in heaven who, who actually loves to see his children seeking him, praying to him, asking, knocking, waiting upon him, calling out to him. And that's why Jesus talks about seeking first the kingdom. And that's why there's this posture of, of, of continually seeking God that builds the relationship and trust. And it's there that God gets the glory and the praise and the love that he deserves. It's actually not before the storm and after the storm, but it's during the storm that God gets the greatest offering, the greatest um, act of, of praise and worship and trust. That song we sing, I'll raise a hallelujah in the middle of the mystery. That, that pushes my heart to go, okay, it's during the storm that it's now that my faith gets tested. And that Easter egg hunt illustration kind of helps me understand that. Now, any illustrations limited. And I'm, I really don't like portraying um, God as, as someone who actually wills sickness and suffering as a lesson. I don't think that's the good father that Jesus revealed. I think Satan is the prince of the world and that the creation is groaning and that, that sickness and pain and darkness is still just a, an effect of sin on the earth. But God is over it all. He's in control. He's just not controlling. He doesn't send these things to teach us horrible lessons and to grow our character. But as Roman 8, Romans 8 declares, he actually turns the darkness and the sickness and he, he turns it for good. He works through it. He doesn't necessarily directly send it and will it, but he works it for his good and he grows in us maturity and, and hearts of, of faith. Proverbs 25.2, the ancient wisdom, it actually says it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it's the glory of the kings to search it out. Um, Bill Johnson, pastor in um, Bethel in America, he says, if your answer to prayer is delayed, he views it as gaining interest. And when the breakthrough comes, it will come with greater power and glory than if it's released immediately often. I've heard that if God somehow allows a Goliath in front of you, that's because he knows that there's a David inside of you. 
and he knows that he can help lead you to, to conquer and overcome your fears, the disappointments, the, the struggles that you will face. And it, it's, it's in the heart of David that we read in these Psalms, someone who vulnerably can worship and walk through that with God. And so what's so important and what I think God is just reminding us today is how do we portray God? What is the inheritance of our friends and our family and our workplaces around us? Our marriage, our parenting, our leading, the way we care for those older than us, the way we care for those younger than us. These three tensions that I had and you saw in the slide earlier, what does it look like for you and I at the moment in whatever we're facing to walk with the mystery of God, the goodness of God and the power of God? Now, if you were to read through this psalm, you'll read that it, it, it'll speak into your week. It, it talks about God's righteousness, his compassion, his mercy, his kingdom. And I believe those kind of come under these three. But I think this is just one way of, of trying to walk by faith in, in carrying the tension and the balance of all three. And I believe that Jesus himself was an even greater model than David the perfect Son of God, the exact representation, as Hebrews 1.3 says, to reveal the goodness and the glory of God. We see in the life of Jesus, we see in, in the way he faced the suffering of the world, that he continued to walk by faith. He continued to teach the disciples that there is nothing impossible. And it's that kind of faith that he wanted the disciples to walk with, no matter what they faced. 1 John 3 verse 8, it says the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And I believe Jesus showed us that it's our job to bring light to the darkness. It's our job to pray for absolutely everybody and anybody. To pray in faith, to pray in love, to pray for the sick, to care for the hungry. And that Jesus showed us that in his life. And that our view of God will will paint hope into whoever we talk to. But our hope will depend on on our belief, on how big our God is. I had someone at a dinner, it was at the end of the night, and he'd heard about um, some of the things me and Emma were praying through, and he looked us in the eyes. It was Tom Burton's dad. Uh, and, And Ken Burton said to us, Andrew, Emma, how big is your God? And it just hit me with this wave of going, wow, I've actually began to shrunk my view of God, but I want a life where God gets bigger and bigger and greater the older I get, the more I read about him. And as I thought about it this week, that question, I thought the question I wanted to ask us today was, was how big is our God? How good is your God? How powerful is your God? And how mysterious is your God? If you can't remember all them, then maybe just ask how big is your God? We have a challenge here at the centre. We have a challenge in Australia. We have a challenge across the West. 47% of millennials believe it's wrong to share your faith with other people. That research has come out just recently. That the next generation coming through is, is scared and believes it's wrong to share who Jesus is. And I share that with us this morning to propel us to take on this task from one generation to another. Because how big your God is, how powerful he is, how good he is, will define the generations around you and what God they pass on. And so I encourage us this morning to take on that challenge. I believe we see it 
Um, and I've got just four summaries of, of David's heart. And I think it's in our prayer. It's in our vulnerability. It's in our stories and testimonies. And it's in how we show God's heart to restore, to heal, to bless, to love, to touch. And I guess that this morning is what, what I took out of this psalm. And, and I think if our view of God is big, then our prayers will be big. Our honesty and our vulnerability will be really real and heartfelt. And we will bring testimonies and stories of the past, the present, but we'll also bring new ones into the future. And that's my prayer for us as we continue on as a church and as you guys continue on um, portraying God to those around you. So I might ask um, Dan and and the the band to come on up uh, as we spend some time just with God and in his presence singing. And as they prepare, I just want to read uh, the end of this psalm, but I really would love you to read it in your weeks. I've been listening to this song um, by Maverick Music that talks, it's called You Keep On Getting Better. And I liked it just because it was catchy, but then I realised, hang on, what are they singing about? You keep on getting better. For them, they're declaring that actually as they keep going, God keeps on getting better. And I do, do I, has that happened in my life? Is that a reality that I'm believing or, or living in? And so at the end of the psalm, David, I want to read it over you. Why don't you let's all stand and I'll just read the, the final words of this psalm and then we'll sing. And I encourage you, um, either the, this morning or in your small groups or with a friend or up the back, maybe there's a situation or a thought that just it's worth stepping out and asking someone to pray into this morning. And to allow that humility, his grace just to flow through. At the end of the psalm we read, The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their proper food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever.